0: before we open up the word of God and begin to uh, go through our sermon today, uh, we have a very special announcement we need to make. So I'm going to invite Roger Webb to come up right now and he's got an announcement to make to the church.
1: Well, this is an exciting announcement. Uh, We all know that the Lord has certainly blessed our church so incredibly in so many ways and in the Area of financial blessings, uh, because of the Lord, Uh, just over a week ago, our church was able to write a cheque, payable to the bank for a little over $152,000 that completely paid off our building loan. So praise the Lord. We are now completely debt free. (laughs) Um, We will be providing additional more uh, financial information at our... October business meeting, but if in the meantime any of you have any, and we will also be presenting a motion concerning the Acts 1-8 fund, but if in the meantime any of you have any questions, certainly feel free to come and ask either myself or anyone on our budget and finance committee. Thank you.
0: It's amazing how uh, in the time that I've been on staff at Fisherville, almost 10 years now, Um, How I've just watched God just meet our needs over and over and over and over again. And things where we thought and it's never going to happen. We're never going to get there. Uh, How are we ever going to... I mean, this is two times now we've watched the Lord meet our needs and pay off off our debt for us. Far ahead of what we ever thought. And so I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to uh, the future. I, I love the fact that we are out of debt. I thought about, if any of you are familiar with Dave Ramsey... I thought about playing that little clip off his radio show where, it's, it, where the guy goes, freedom, <laughs> you know, and uh, having us all scream, we're debt free, because I just believe that I am not of the opinion uh, that a church has to be in debt in order to grow. Um, I think it's the other way around. I think that when a church is out of debt, it enables us to grow because no longer are we sending off money to a bank. Uh, we can use every penny that comes in for the work of the Lord. Amen? That's good news. Matthew chapter 5, let's go there. Let's find some more good news today. We started a series through the Sermon on the Mount last week, and last week I really just spent my time uh, just kind of laying out what we're going to talk about and and the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to begin through the Beatitudes, and it's going to take us several weeks just to get through the Beatitudes. Um, And so we're going to be going slow, and I hope that doesn't bother you, but I just feel like that's what God's called me to do in this situation is just to take our time and to work our way through these. And so we're going to be begin in verse 3 today, but just before we get there, let's think about what are the Beatitudes. I heard someone one time call them the beautiful attitudes. And I thought, what a fitting name, what a fitting phrase for that. Uh, these, these, are, these are phrases, statements that were written in such a way that they fit together, that they progress from one to another. And we'll see that as, as we study through these. Uh, the first four focus mainly on our relationship with God. And the remainder focus mainly on our relationship with other people. But I want you to make sure that you understand this. These are not just good qualities that Jesus is trying to point out in everyday people. In fact, what Jesus describes here aren't character qualities that we can accomplish on our own. These are not things that come naturally, but instead are spirit-enabled characteristics that come through the life of the believer when we are walking in step step With Christ walking under the power in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, I think we need to understand that what Christ is calling us to is is He's saying that these are characteristics that should be present in every believer. In other words, it's not that you have a group over here that demonstrate meekness, and then you have a group over here that demonstrate a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then the poor in spirit over here. But instead, no, that every single believer ought to be called to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be peacemakers, and, and so on. Now, now, we might not display these things perfectly, and, and none of us are going to display these things all perfectly until we step into heaven. But we are called in the power of the Spirit to to want to see this fruit come forth in our lives. And so let's read Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. We're going to read down through 11. Actually, let's start in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now, I noticed, I'm i sure you noticed that at the beginning of every one of those statements, Jesus starts with that word, blessed. And in some translations, you might find the word happy. Uh, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the meek. Uh, but really and truly, as I studied the... The passage here, I feel like maybe that's, that's not quite the full intent of what Jesus is trying to say. Uh, you know, when we think about happiness, um, we think of something that comes and goes, right? Uh, we think of uh, um, something that's dependent upon our circumstances. It's a feeling uh, rather than a fact. Um, and many times when we read these passages, the word happiness, it, it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, happy are those who mourn. How does mourning bring happiness? Um, But rather, I think what Jesus is trying to say here when he says, blessed are those, is that word blessed there, Uh, it's a pronouncement of who we are. It's a statement by God of who we are. Blessed means to be approved in the eyes of God, To, to to be counted approved in the eyes of God. It is a fact, in other words. And so the Lord looks at us and says, approved are the poor in spirit. Approved are the meek. Uh, approved are the merciful. And when we look at the second half of each of those verses, let's just read that again. I want you to see how just, if that's how we're defined in Christ, how blessed we are. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we could go on through the rest of that. And you would see just how great the blessing is for the one who is demonstrating that quality. But let me pause here and ask this question. Is God's blessing what you're after? Is God's approval what you really want the most? Are you desiring the Lord's blessing and approval in your life, or are you chasing after something else? Are you searching after approval in some other place? I read a story this past week that I thought illustrated this point pretty well. Um, how many of y'all are pet owners? Anybody got pets? A few of y'all? Okay. Um, I read a story about New York City. Um, in New York City, there are roughly 8 million cats and 11 million dogs. That is a lot of animals, Right? Um, and, and because of the way New York City is made, it's basically just concrete and steel, right? There's not a lot of yards and things like that. Um, when a pet dies, uh, there's no way, no, no, nothing they can do with it. The, the owner can't take it out in their backyard and bury it because there's nowhere to go. There's no grass to be buried in. And so the city of New York came up with this plan, and they said for $50, we would take care of of your deceased pet for you. We'll come and we'll take it and we'll dispose of the body. Well, you know how people are. Uh, People can be enterprising, right? They want to be entrepreneurs. They want to make a buck. So this one woman came up with this idea and she put an ad in the paper and she said, if your pet dies, I will come and take care of your pet for $25. So she was saying, I'd save you 25 bucks. And so here was her plan. So what she did was she would go to the Salvation Army or like a thrift store and she would buy a suitcase, like an old suitcase for a couple bucks person would call her, she'd go to their house, she'd pull out this suitcase, she would get gently and carefully, place this animal in the suitcase, zip it up, and then she would, she would walk away with that suitcase. The person would have then saved 25 bucks. They're thinking, "I got a deal." All right? Well, here's where it got interesting. She would then go to the subway. She would hop on the subway, and what are on the subways? Thieves. And so she would hop on the subway, she would set the suitcase next to her, and she would pretend like she wasn't watching. And then someone inevitably would come by and would snatch the suitcase, and she would say, oh, stop, wait. (laughs) And away they would go with this suitcase. Now, you can imagine the look on that person's face when they got to wherever they were going, and they opened the suitcase, and what did they find? Not what they thought they were looking for. You know, here's the truth. A lot of us are a lot like those thieves. We chase around looking for happiness, looking for something to fulfill us, looking for some kind of prize... And at the end of the day, it ain't nothing like what we thought we were getting. You know, if we were going to rewrite these Beatitudes based on the ideals of happiness and approval today, let me just give you some ideas of what we might hear. If this were to come across the news, come across some magazine or in a movie, it might sound something like this. It might sound like blessed are the rich and famous because they always get a seat at the restaurant. Blessed are the good-looking because they show up on the front of the magazine. Blessed are those who party, because they know how to have fun. Blessed are those who take first place in the division, because they'll have momentum in the playoffs. Uh, Blessed are those who demand their rights, because they'll never be overlooked. Blessed are the healthy and fit, because they'll always fit in their bathing suit. Blessed are those who make it to the top, because then they can look down on everyone else. Blessed are those with the most likes and the most followers because they've truly been noticed. But what is your ultimate fulfillment coming from? Where does your approval come from? Does it come from something in this world or does it come from our Lord and Savior? Who calls you blessed? If God's blessing is what you are truly after, if it is what you treasure the most, then I believe his word will penetrate your heart and it will give you that desire to go deeper and deeper in your relationship with Christ, no matter what the cost. Do, do me a favor and flip over to Matthew chapter 13. Mark your place in, in Matthew 5. We're going to come back and let's go to Matthew chapter 13. I want to read a, a parable that Jesus taught us about the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Matthew 5, 3 is what we're mainly going to be on today. And it says, blessed are the poor of spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13, we find a parable about the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to see the cost, okay? Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see the picture there? It's the picture of someone who is willing to give up everything else to get that one treasure, who's willing to lay everything down in order to achieve that one great prize. What is that great prize? Heaven. God's blessing. God's desire. Now let's go back to Matthew 5, verse 3, and let's see how we get there. Let's see where the path goes. You know, this first beatitude we come to, I really believe, is the key to all the rest. If you miss this one, you can't get to the next one. You can't achieve the next one if you don't achieve Matthew 5.3. It says in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so here's the question, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? I can tell you what it's not. It does not mean some sort of character weakness. It does not mean a lack of drive or a lack of motivation. Uh, that they're, they're not spirited enough. Um, it, it does not mean some idea that you have no value because Christ came to die for you. And I believe that in, indicates that God believed we have value. But what it does mean to be poor in spirit is it means to come to a point of understanding that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we cannot do anything to save ourselves. No amount of good works can undo the mess that we've made of our souls through sin. We cannot achieve that on our own. We are flat broke when it comes to paying the debt of sin in our own life. Can't do it. In fact, you cannot know Christ for salvation without first recognizing the fact that you are poor in spirit. And I can say cannot because you will not come to Christ for salvation until the fact that you realize you need a Savior and you can't pay the debt yourself. You'll never turn to Jesus until you get to that point. Because why in the world would you ever think that you need a Savior if you think your good works are going to get you into heaven? You'll never get there. You know, this whole idea of, of, of being spiritually poor um, isn't too popular these days. We don't like to look down upon ourselves, do we? Uh, We live in a a day and age where uh, we like to exalt the self, exalt the person, uh, rather than seeing ourselves for who we truly are. I mentioned a moment ago, if we were to rewrite these Beatitudes, but I I got to thinking, um, today we would not find blessed are the poor in spirit. You would not find those words anywhere. Um, Specifically to this one Beatitude, you might find it something more like this, blessed is the one who is always right. Blessed are the strong. Blessed are the ones that rule over others. Blessed is the one that's satisfied in himself. Blessed is the one who is rich. Blessed is the one who everyone else envies. You know, we live in a day and age of self-esteem and self-confidence and independence and pride. um, and, And those things aren't all necessarily bad. But when they get out of hand, when they grow to a sinful state, it causes us to think we don't need God. It makes us think that we have no need for a Savior because if man can solve his own problems, why do we even need a God? I believe I've heard that opinion from more than a few over the past years. Why do I need a God anyway? I can do this on my own. And so rather than coming to God with humility, many instead stick out their chests as if to say, look what I can accomplish It reminds me of a story I found in Luke, chapter 18, verse 9. I think it's going to be on the screen. Is it up there? Yeah, okay. Um, This is another parable that Jesus told. I want you to to hear this. It said that he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so there's that idea of self-righteousness here, okay? Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, we might not be tempted to identify ourselves with that Pharisee. We we don't like to think of ourselves as being that proud. We think I would never say something like that. But let's be honest and say that sometimes we might try to find ourselves somewhere in between. We think we're not quite poor in spirit, but we're not quite arrogant in spirit. And so maybe it's kind of like what a guy named Tim Keller called middle class in spirit. You know, we think we're somewhere in between. This is what he wrote, Tim Keller. He said, many believe that God owes them some things. They ought to answer your prayers or bless you for the many good things that you've done. Even though the Bible doesn't use the term, by inference, we can say that you are middle class in spirit. You feel that you've earned a certain standing with God through your hard work. You also may believe that the success and the resources you have are primarily due to your own industry and image. Middle class in spirit? You know, the truth is, is that anything other than poor in spirit just doesn't cut it with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What did he say in that passage right there? He said, who is the one who is justified? The one who comes in humility. That tax collector who, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I think another way that we could put this is that to be be poor in spirit uh, begins with emptying. It begins with an emptying. You know, emptying ourselves of the thoughts that, that we've earned any sort of favor with God, uh, emptying ourselves of the ideas that we can save ourselves, and in, in our emptiness, remembering that the, that the ground at the cross is level and that we all are equally standing together as lost sinners who cannot save ourselves. And once you've emptied yourself, then you're ready to be filled by the power and love of Jesus Christ. It, I just, can, just consider the example of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, when it says, Have, your, have this mind among yourselves, which is, in, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Christ emptied himself of a position which he most definitely owned, took on the form of a servant, which was a job that was far below his pay grade, and died on a cross which he did not deserve. All so that when we empty ourselves and turn to Christ in humility for salvation, we could be filled With his presence. Have this mind among yourselves. And so, the path to becoming poor in spirit, I believe, involves just as much looking to God as it does looking in the mirror. That as we consider the Word of God and we consider God's holiness and his righteousness, and we see Christ's example of his greatness and his power and his love for us. Our sin becomes clear. We understand who we truly are. And we'll turn to Him because we know we have no ability to save ourselves. We are poor in spirit. And then God offers us the greatest gift of all. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now think about that little phrase. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, not anyone else's. Heaven doesn't belong to the proud. It doesn't belong to the arrogant. It doesn't belong to the person that that thinks that they have no need for God. It doesn't belong to the heathen. It doesn't belong to the person who chased after other gods. God's kingdom is filled only with those who were poor in spirit and who turned to Jesus for salvation. But Jesus also said there's is the kingdom of heaven. You know, oftentimes we think of heaven as always being future tense, right? It's a day that is coming. We sing, when we all get to heaven. You know, all those songs always focus on that future day. Rightfully so, but let's not forget that eternal life begins at the moment of salvation. That the moment we pray to receive Christ, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, and we are walking with Him daily, and we have the privilege of talking with our King in prayer. What a gift! To think that while our residence hasn't changed, we can talk to the King of Heaven that we have the privilege of walking with him and knowing that we can bend his ear and that his spirit is going to give us the ability to understand the word of God. That's what Jesus said, right? That the helper would come and would teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I commanded you. So yes, heaven is future, but we live as heaven's children today, right here, right now. Are you poor in spirit today? Now, let me, let me say this before we come to a time of invitation. You know, we, we hear a passage like this and we think about those who are lost. Absolutely, positively, they need to come to the point of being, realizing that they are poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, so they will turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. And if that's you today, you need to do that today. You need to come to the point of realizing that you cannot save yourself. And that only Jesus, and Jesus alone, no other name, can you receive salvation. But there's a message for the church here too. You see, to be poor in spirit is not something that we simply come to once and then leave behind. But instead, we are called to continually live as those who are poor in spirit. Last week in our Sunday school lesson, we studied 2 Samuel chapter 22. And in verse 28, this is what was written. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. You save a humble people. God saves a humble people. But here's the truth. Sometimes that after salvation, we're tempted to throw that humility aside and to begin to get a little prideful of our spiritual resume. We think, I'm making progress. I'm doing well. And we begin to sound like that Pharisee who said, I fast two times a week. I give a tenth of all I have. And we begin to to build this pride and this arrogance and this thought that I'm doing God a favor. But the truth is that this, this beatitude is not just a pathway to salvation but it's a pathway to right fellowship with our Lord and Savior every single day. That we are called to be poor in spirit. And so as believers, we have to guard against spiritual pride in a sense. I know it's a weird phrase to think of, but sometimes we become spiritually proud. I got the answer. I figured it out. I have arrived. And if we're not careful... We'll find ourselves on the other side of that verse right there. But your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to the point where the Lord suddenly needs to bring me down a notch. Instead, I want to walk in humility every single day. And so the ultimate point of this first parable, this first beatitude is this, that that you cannot enter the kingdom of God without first coming to the point of realizing that you are poor in spirit and that you will not remain in close fellowship with God without continually remembering that you are poor in spirit. And so pride can keep a lost person out of heaven and keep a saved person from staying next to Jesus. Pride. And so today, are are you willing to lay down your pride? Let me close with this illustration. Um, have any basketball fans in the house today? Anybody likes to watch a little basketball? A few people. You ever been watching a basketball game and get absolutely frustrated at guys who miss free throws? I mean, they're free throws. You ought to be able to make them, right? I've watched many a Tigers game and been wanting to throw something to TV, watching them brick free throws, and thinking, man, here are free buckets and you can't even make them. Um, There was a guy, I don't know if you might know this name. There was a man who played in the NBA back in the 60s and 70s uh, by the name of Rick Barry. Um, Maybe you've heard that name. And if you know Rick Barry, uh, Rick Barry was famous for one thing. He was a very good free throw shooter. Uh, He shot um, 89.3% over the course of his career from the free throw line. And on his best season, he shot almost 95% from the free throw line. But do you know what his secret was? The granny shot. He always shot from the free throw line like the granny. Y'all remember the movie Hoosiers? My favorite basketball movies. And you remember at the very end of the movie, Ollie, that kid Ollie. And the only reason you remember Ollie is because Ollie shot the granny shot. And and you know that, um, in fact, physics says that the easiest way to make a free throw is a granny shot. It's the arc of the ball, the way it's spinning. You are more likely to make a free throw if you'll shoot it like granny than if you'll shoot it normal. But people do that No. And um, Rick Barry was interviewed about this one time, and he was asked, why don't people shoot the granny shot? If you're going to make more shots, why do you think they won't shoot it? And his answer was simple. He said he thought they were too proud, that it looked ridiculous, and that they would be too proud, they were too embarrassed to stand there and shoot like granny on national TV. And so instead, they'd rather miss buckets than to shoot like granny. I believe there are some today who are tempting missing heaven because of their pride. Because they're unwilling to admit their weakness. They're unwilling to admit that they're going to miss it because they won't recognize, I can't save myself. Would you pray with me? Father God, today I pray that pride would not keep someone out of heaven. It's a day. I feel like I know that there's somebody in this room today who is lost. And they're lost, and they remain that way because of their pride. Because they say, I don't need a a Savior. I can save myself. I'm doing just fine. God, I pray that today they would recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt. Just like all of us in here are spiritually bankrupt on our own. But that you want to fill their account with your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness that comes only through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if that person, if there's someone, many people here today who are lost, that today would be their day of salvation. They would walk this aisle and want to know more about how they can have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for us today as the church that we would not be proud, proud in ourselves, not be arrogant in our own abilities and our own accomplishments, but that we would walk every single day knowing that everything we have and everything we do is not because of us, but because of you. So God, if there's some pride that needs to be confessed among our church family, I pray that today would be that day. That we would confess that and get back in step with you. Father, if there are decisions that need to be made today of any sort, salvation, church membership, rededication, baptism, I pray that those individuals would have the confidence to know that you are leading them to step out today in this invitation. And it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Just stand as we sing.